Welcome to episode one of Goals in Motion podcast, where we talk all things grassroots sport. We're going to go through uh, three different things fortnightly for you to give you an insight in what we do as coaches. Um, we're going to have Coach's Corner, we'll have In Motion, which is our guest segment, and we're going to finish off with our pick of the week, where we look back at a sporting event in the past fortnight. All three of us are part of the same sporting club, uh, FC Darton Locomotives Girls Football Club. Uh, my name is James, I'm the under-13s assistant manager. My name's Brad, I'm the under-13s manager. And my name's Nathan, chairman of the club, head coach, and work for Martin Gray Football Academy as a senior coach. Um, who have kindly lent us their studio to record this recording and sponsored us for this podcast. Coach's Corner. Welcome to Coach's Corner. Um, I'm going to discuss something today in Coach's Corner. Just a little bit of background on myself. Uh, I've been coaching for about 15, 16 years now. Um, and I think you learn lots of different things throughout the years. Something I'm massive on at the moment is something called ball mastery, where, where the kids have a ball each in any sport. We're going to focus on football and then look at how to link it into other sports. So basically, my question is, is ball mastery the most important part of a football session? So I'll pick this one up. So I believe that to start with as, as a new player starting out, ball mastery should be something really important introduced. Um, in our team, uh, coach set up certainly with Brad, we don't probably focus on it as much as we should. Um, with us with being 11 aside, we try and focus on more in play sort of coaching. Um, Brad, what do you think? Yeah, uh, for me, I think it's similar to what you were saying. Um, it's, it's important, but when, when the kids are only coming into football at 10, 11 year old, yeah. it, you're sort of trying to do ball mastery, but you're trying to get them to learn the game as well. Yeah. Uh, so I think for me, it's. It's important, but when, when you've got kids who are sort of starting earlier, yeah. it's a lot easier. Yeah, so good. with Nathan's under-7s, for instance, um, I'd say, well, you take over. What do you good point, it's a yeah. good point. Um, basically, it's, it's something called a football age, isn't it? So every player's got a football age. So say you're, you're seven-year-old, um, but you played football for three years. That's like my mental age. <laughs> <laughs> um, so say you're seven-year-old, but you start playing football when you're four, you've got a football age of three. So what we're yeah. basically saying is, is the, it, it doesn't relate to the football age, it relates to the actual age of the kid because, say yours, you, yeah. you've had some players come into 11 aside this year, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. You haven't kicked a ball before. Yeah, yeah. And 11 aside's a big learning curve anyway, going up from 9 aside. But um, I, I think it's important. I think they need to know how to do it. Maybe you segment them, maybe you take them away from the team a little bit. 10 minutes yeah. ball mastery, you put them back in. But like you said... It's all about formations once you go 11 aside, isn't it? Yeah. You need to know formation, structures, phases of play. Um, but I, I do massively think it's important, but it could relate to the size of the pitch as well because you've, you've got a chance, well, I don't know, I'm a centre-half, I've got a chance to, to make a mistake and still recover from it, whereas five aside, yeah. small pitch they're on you, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think something which me and Brad are looking to try and get introduced in terms of meeting in the middle of the ball mastery and the football side of things is... Uh, big triangles with a presser in the middle of three, mm-hmm. trying to press the ball, but getting the girls making considered passing, um, using the wrong foot, things like that. Uh, is that what you've done in the past? It is, but you have to have competency in the ball. Um, so what? I, I just think now, think now, loud. If if we're requiring this from the players, but we're still thinking they need to be comfortable on the ball, it's a little bit of football homework for them, really, isn't it? And we so we could sort of come up with 
videos for them to do, homework for them to do, something like that, where they just get on the ball. And then it fits into your passing, doesn't it? The massive bugbear of me is, to pass a ball, you need to be able to control it. If you can't control a ball, you can't pass a ball. Yeah, so I I completely agree with what you're saying. Like when when that's why I think starting at an earlier age, if you can, is is ideal. It's key, isn't it? Yeah, because it's sort of you're learning the learn to play football as daft as it sounds. They learn to play football from a younger age. So when they do get to under twelves, under thirteens plus, yeah, they they can they've got that ball mastery and yeah. that's that's a second thought in the mind. I think I just think the Wayne Rooney just popped into my head. Um, what was it called? Street striker or something yes. like that. Yeah, something like yeah, that. yeah. And everything about that was sort of technique, wasn't it? Technique yeah. based, which sort of tells you he was kicking about in Liverpool in the back streets with a ball at his feet, doing ball mastery by himself. I think that's what I read today. Actually, they were talking about the the England uh, record goal scoring about to go for Harry Kane. He's he's done alright. He scored against some sort of traffic cones but <laughs> I think essentially somebody said that he'll have the he'll have the record but Wayne Rooney will still own the streets because yeah. of the way he plays uh-huh. he, like you look at Wayne Rooney and you think he just wants to play football uh-huh. he would literally like Phil Foden for instance now you think like they would just go into a street and kick a can around well, that was when Phil Foden did it was it under 13's football presentation and they were asking yeah. him where, where's Foden at where's he, he needs to give the trophy out and he was out the back, he took his top off, put it down for a goal post, and he was yeah. playing football with the kids out the back. But I think, I think that made me, when, what you said, Brad, with the age of them, that made me think that Wayne Rooney scored 16-year-old, was he? 16, Everton 16. against Arsenal, which is funny. Totally comes into my mind because my girlfriend said, I've got a football question right and a quiz. I bet you never guess who it was. It was about Wayne Rooney when he scored his first goal, 16-year-old. I can't imagine he started football at 14 then, can he? No. So no. you're thinking he must have been yeah. three-year-old, four-year-old, dribbling around with the ball. So some of our kids, to give him some sort of chance, we've got to fast-track them at 12, 13, don't yeah. we? So they have to do their own ball mastery. They're going to have to or they're not going to make it. And my, my daughter plays in the 13s and she, uh, she actually has a, an in, it's really bizarre, really bizarre thing, an indoor football at mm-hmm. home where she'll never play with outside and she just dribbles around the house with it sometimes. She'll just take it into the kitchen, she'll go and get a yoghurt out of the kitchen, she'll dribble the ball in the kitchen, then she'll dribble it back. Um, and we've got no parents listening. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, that's something which I think is, I find it really intri- interesting because she wouldn't ever sit and watch a game of football. No. But taking the ball, dribbling it through the house, into the kitchen, and, and like loving that ball, I think is something which yeah. the, the top the top players will, will have done when they were kids. Yeah. You know, you hear stories about kids who took the balls to bed and slept with them and things yeah. like that because it was their prized possession. You know, so Bobby Robson used to say that. Love the ball, love the ball, yeah. make the ball your friend. I can remember watching a night with Bobby, um, a night a night with Sir Bobby or something. It's called. I got it for his DVD as a Christmas present, um, and it showed like his coaching sessions. And there's that famous picture where he's got the ball under his arm and Mourinho's a couple of steps behind him, yeah. and he's shouting, "Love the ball!" You've got to look to Ronaldo, to Figo, and then Mourinho's translating it in Portuguese, going, "Love the ball, Bob- Sir Bobby wants to love, make you love the ball," and it's just like. What he's trying to say is just get a feel for it. You've got to get a feel for it because so many times, I mean, how many times do you hear you're on a sideline, get rid of it? Yeah. yeah. I ban that word from football yeah. because if they're no ball master, if they master that ball, there'd be no need to get rid of it. I can't imagine anybody yeah. shouting that at Messi. No. no. It's really good insights. Um, I mean, there's some interesting things we can take into our guest. Uh, we've got Brooke Stanley joining us shortly, who's uh, he's an academy player in rugby league down in, uh, down in Yorkshire. 
um, we're going to get him on the phone and uh, and go through a brief interview with him um, just to get his insights into sort of different types of coaching and things. Yeah. Um, so what we'll do is we'll head over to In Motion and we'll see you shortly. In Motion! So now we're joined by Brooke Stanley. Uh, Brooke is a rugby league player from Yorkshire. Um, he is without a club at the moment, uh, having come out with the academy system, but looking to get signed up hopefully soon with, with a, a big name club. Um, we're going to ask Brooke a few questions and just get, get to know a little bit about uh, rugby league, really, and what it's like at grassroots level. So I'm going to hand over to Brad, who's going to start off the questions for us. OK, Brooke? Yeah. What age did you start playing rugby league then, Brooke? Uh, I started playing when I was about seven year old, and uh, yeah, I've played ever since. And what um, what what would you say um, your biggest sacrifice was um, playing rugby league from such a young age? Uh, definitely not being able to do what everyone else is doing in a sense like you know you've got to stay like dedicated and you can't go out when you've got training the next morning or a match the next morning and you've got to make like dietary sacrifices as well so like what you eat and yeah just generally like missing out on as much of the social life as what everyone else has really the food sounds good sorry it's Nathan I'm just going to jump in the food <laughs> sounds good it's got me interested <laughs> Tell, talk, me through, talk me through a day in the life of you eating so it depends really it's like if you're um, if you're looking to put on weight, then you've just yeah. got to eat loads, basically. So I'm not, so... <laughs> he doesn't need yeah. to. He's like all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so... Big breakfast, loads of snacks in between lunch, and have another meal at lunch, and then more snacks, and then have a meal when I get home from college, and then, yeah another big meal in the evening and is that like where you say like the, the meals and stuff is that like sort of your classic the rock eating like chickens and like eggs and yeah, stuff like that ch- chicken rice eggs pasta all that like carb loading basically isn't it so, yeah so I say that's, 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 uh, as well. that's the one um, so I'm going to move on the, the question number three for you really is uh, typically how many people make it so from, from sort of grassroots level all the way through I'm going to use Will Price as an example I'm using my knowledge there rugby league Will Price he, he sort of yeah. followed your path, but he's about two years ahead of you. Um, yeah. Typically, how many people will do a Will Price? So, yeah, it's... You start off figuring to um, your scholarship, so that's the next step from grassroots, and that's where professional clubs can approach you. And then after two years scholarship, you do two years academy, and then you can either get signed first team or they've brought reserve grade back in this year, I think. They're bringing that back in, so you can get signed onto reserves as well. But it's usually out of the. So I'll use Will Price yeah. So the twenty kids out of that year, three made it onwards. So oh wow, it's quite a... one in seven. Really. Yeah, yeah. So pretty cut, pretty cutthroat then, isn't it? So like you say, yeah, yeah. I think look, looking at that, the numbers though, you're saying like out of twenty kids through the academy, they're obviously quite picky on who they put in the academy. So. To have made yeah. to have made it even to that level, you must you must have been like people must be pretty good to get just into that final twenty. You know that that's well, yeah, that's I mean, in itself is something really proud of as any player. Yeah, I mean that means you're in kind of the top percent in your country and in your area. So, 
And uh, what what what's your plan? So what's like, what's your plan for the next two years? I know we we talk quite regularly. What's your plan for the next two years? But like from now, I know you've had a bit of bit of, bit of me time and you, you've you've let loose a little bit. But I know how committed you are as as a sports person. I want to know what what's your plan for the next two years. Just want to get back into it all. Really, it's like I'm I'm going to carry on playing at grassroots level and then hopefully get into an academy academy set up somewhere. So I'll just kick on from there. Really. Happy days. Nathan, anything to add to that one? Um, I'm just going to go straight on to my questions because uh, it's just it'll probably be a bit longer answers than I thought. So basically what we're, what we're looking for from this podcast is how we can inspire people, how we can move, move the grassroots game forward, move people into, into academies like you're saying there, Brooke. Um, but I'm just going to touch on a little bit of a personal experience to me. I think in sport, there's two reasons why you do it. One of it's sort of like a personal inspiration and one's like a role model, a hero. Um, my hero was Alan Shearer, uh, a personal inspiration. My mum, Linda, my dad, Paul, this is why I do this club, this is why I run the club that I run. Do you have inspirations that have got you into rugby league uh, and more further inspirations to just be the best you can be? Yeah, definitely. So I'd say family-wise, probably my granddad and my mum. It's like they've always been really supportive of everything yeah. that I do. And then obviously I have your professional role models. Uh, I like some of the Australian players. So like players like Josh Adokar, who's the same position as me. Mm-hmm. And then just all-rounders like Caelan Ponger and... Yeah, just watching it from a young age, you just see people at an elite level and you just always want to be there, really. Yeah, I think it's important because obviously we, we coach in girls' football uh, and the, the women's game in football is, is becoming bigger and they're yeah. having those positive role models. But I think growing up, 10 years ago, the girls were watching the boys. They didn't really have an interest in it, so they didn't watch a lot of sports. So you're saying that watching it sort of got you hooked, so to speak. Uh, yeah, definitely, and just like just being around it. Yeah, and I think on the sideline, like you touched on with with your granddad, your mum, it's those cold Novembers where it's absolutely chucking it down with rain. Yeah. And you look on the sideline, yeah. there's four people there. Two of them are your yeah. your family with with an umbrella. That makes it worthwhile, doesn't it? They're from Yorkshire, they won't have yeah. an umbrella. <laughs> 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 a copy of the Sunday Times. It's all they'd have. But I just think it, it shows. I can I can remember a, a quote of somebody saying, "Don't." Don't dream of playing in front of ninety thousand. Just remember playing in front of four, and I think that yeah. you know it's just what you've yeah. touched on there. That's yeah, really, really like good insights. Um, I'm I'm going to go from a coaching perspective now. So, background of myself, I coach in the Northern League, um, which is sort of like a semi-professional league. But I've coached from three-year-olds up to. 40-year-olds in the Northern League, ex-professionals down to people who haven't kicked the ball before. Um, and I have to da- adapt my coaching style. What's it been like? Because you've had loads of coaches throughout your career. What's it been like adapting to coaching styles and which ones are your favourites? Yeah, so you get, you get lots of different style of coaches. So each coach likes to put their own different spin on things. Mm. and I think it's good to have... So say I've played for three different community clubs at grassroots level and I think it's yeah it's really good to get used to like different kind of coaching styles and be in different environments and the way that you have to adapt to those as well so I think that's always good for your character being thrown in an environment where you don't really know all the lads and then you know like the team farming stage and yeah I think that's massively important socially isn't it how, how important sport is socially to 
definitely. And going further forward. I mean, everybody knows the, the persona around the dressing room and how, how good it is being in a winning change room and also how bad it is in a losing one, but it both makes and breaks players, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. No, that's it. I mean, me and Brad talk a lot about our team and, and you know, Brad, Brad will agree. We, we've got some absolute characters in our team, Brooke. Um and I know having having seen you a couple of times with with your grassroots teams and like the cup final especially we came out to watch, um, there's a very diverse set of players in your team. I think that's really important that you've got to have the the, the class clown and you've got to have the sensible ones and the the mature ones and stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, you've got the dad of the team. Yeah, that that would be <laughs> me. I think probably. <laughs> 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 but no, um, thanks very much, Brooke. I really appreciate your time. Um, yeah, thank you. you. You're part of history as well. Like you say, this is our first podcast, hopefully, of many. Um, so, like you say, you, your insights have been really interesting, and hopefully, our listeners can can sort of can relate to at least one part of what you've said and, and take one part away from it. Um, so, well, yeah. thank, thank you very much, um, and good luck with everything going forward. Yep. Cheers, bro. Good Cheers, bro. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Cheers, bro. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This week's pick of the week, um, I've picked it this week. Uh, it's, it's all around domestic cup competitions and I'm going to look at it from a, a non-league perspective to start off with and then open it up to the room. Um, just thinking, it's just been the FA Cup weekend um, and we saw a lot of non-league clubs on the telly against a lot of league clubs. I can remember, I think I watched, it was maybe Chesterfield, Colchester against somebody, uh, a couple of divisions above the team that I'm, I coach for. Um, and I just wanted to look at the fairness behind it and actually how much it means for for those non-league clubs because I looked into it as I was watching it and I looked into the prize money and one point, I think it was £1.8 million last year the winners of the FA Cup won. So let's just say Manchester United won it. Let's say Newcastle United won it. Which is club, <laughs> which is club Dreamland. <laughs> let's say Newcastle won it. Would they even see £1.8 million going into their bank compared to dividing it by 10 and £180,000 going for a, a Dunstan or a Shildon? What benefits would you think, yeah. or what, what do you think? Just what do you think, guys? What do you think? Yeah, I think think for me, it's the the lower league clubs. Um, it, it's going to be so beneficial for them, um, compared to the the big boys type of thing because it can go into the club for players, facilities, and stuff like that. And even if you break it down to sort of players, opportunities, and stuff like that. Um, so like sort of big teams like the the young young players coming through they've got a massive opportunity mm-hmm. of coming through and showing what they can do but it sort of does it does it get to the point where you could criticize them a little bit where they're playing a weakened team against yeah. against sort of what like say a lesser team we'll say it gives that excuse as well doesn't it like I don't know where we were touching before before we started recording on, on Liverpool and Aston Villa and and Aston Villa won 5-0, was it, in that League yeah. Cup game a couple of years ago? Um, but everybody, they went, well, it was because of the Liverpool side straight away. Well, how does it feel for those Liverpool players going, yeah. actually, we're all right players. We're playing for Liverpool on a scholarship. We're on three, four grand a week. Um, but I think, you know, Marine played Tottenham, was it last season, season before? Yeah, yeah that was it. Yeah, it was at Marine as well. At Marine. Yeah. And, and it got the feel, at, we played Heat and Stanton, Washington played Heat and Stanton on Saturday, and it had the feel of an FA Cup tie, 455, their record... Uh, attendance for Northern League Division 2 and it made me think of the FA Cup instantly then I thought this is so important for these lower league teams so why are we giving 1.8 million to the winners when Marine played 
first, second, third, fourth, first round, second round, third round, seven games to get to the so, third round proper so, yeah, when so the, Tottenham entered. So the equivalent of Tottenham going to the final is less games than Marine have played to play yeah. Tottenham, which in itself is, is just wholly wrong. I think there's, there's many things you can look at, like you can look at TV revenues and things like that. Um, you do occasionally have clubs who who forego their their right to the revenue, or they'll switch the fixture mm-hmm. to their home ground to yeah. drive more revenue for the smaller club. I think that in itself is really interesting. Um, I think the FA put a stop on now. If I was what I've read correctly, I think they put a stop on reversing fixtures, which is criminal. I think. Yeah, yeah, really, and I think that that says it all. Um, 1.8 million for, for winning the FA Cup and I know as a Newcastle fan if we were to win the FA Cup it's the kudos and those players would, would be they would be, would be sort of legacy setting they would yeah. be setting that precedent that we won the FA Cup for Newcastle after like 58, 59 years of, of trophy drought they would be held, heralded as heroes mm-hmm. for the rest of time because um, they've ended that drought yeah. they've started this new era um, so the money is irrelevant to the club what, um, what about if so say Newcastle won it part of Northumberland FA um, not from BFA, they put it into that pot. They say if they win it, Manchester win it, they put it into the Great Manchester FA or yeah. whatever FA they're governed by, put it in, distribute it across grassroots sports. Because at the end of the day, these clubs don't need... Whoever wins the FA Cup, unless it's a couple of years, Wigan won it, I think 2013, yeah. 12 yeah. possibly. Yeah, they probably did because look yeah. at them now, they probably did need that 1.8 million. Yeah. Plus, the, but they'll, they'll get enough from the, the sales of the tickets anyway, I suppose. But I think if you look at the flip side, though, is, is the way clubs run is, is also it's a, a great conversation for another day. Actually, Portsmouth won it, I think, in 2004 or 2006 yeah. and ended up going to administration. So uh-huh. they, they really did need the 1.8 million, yeah. which I'm pretty certain didn't really drop in the ocean. No. Um, Wimbledon won it and aren't a club anymore. Yeah, exactly. They've had to go, go away and come back and reform. And uh, I think for me, one of the biggest things as well is, is you, you flick through Sky Sports and and you look and there's Armenia versus Germany on the other night like I'm neither Armenia nor Germany nor had any interest in the match I would sooner watch say Harrogate versus uh, I think Harrogate played Hartlepool in the cup in a replay I'd sooner watch that yeah, and allow yeah. those clubs to get the TV revenue and keep it in, keep it in Britain and keep that revenue here yeah, and make, make people more aware of that level of sport because it's kind of lost on us we're all glitz and glamour of the multi-million pound Premier League but scratch the surface and there's some like Really honest, hard-working people. I'll tell you a funny thing I saw on, on the web today. There was a guy guy playing a match in, in non-league and he was an electrician and the floodlights failed. Him, yeah. He, he trotted off the pitch yeah. to go and fix the floodlights. Like, you wouldn't get that in the Premier League. No, They'd probably have to abandon the game. I wish we had one a couple of weeks ago because floodlights went out and blithe the way and we had to come home. <laughs> we have to replay it again. Were you winning or losing at the time? No, we were losing too. Oh, so Nathan, Nathan cut the I floodlights. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And to know... I'd like to think, well, it, people might know, people might listen to this and go, well, actually, three years ago, Man City won it and gave it to this. Yeah. I don't necessarily think charity. I think it needs to stay in the FA and it needs to fizzle down. We know, fine, well, we're benefiting as a club at the moment from grants and funding, yeah. which is brilliant. How many clubs know of that? And however, how many clubs can't access it because it has to be applied for in a 75%? Imagine Newcastle United and all the Newcastle City Juniors benefit from £400,000 because they've gone we've won the FA Cup there you yeah. go so you talk about the grants there. I mean, we're all about this is this you know we're all about grassroots sports do you, do you know obviously you're a big part of the, the local FC Locomotives Club do you know where like could you sort of let us know where that is like you let our listeners know so people can then access these grants around the country and around around the, around England and Wales and yeah, whatnot. So, so the best thing to do is lo- is contact your local FA um, like Chris Hutchinson our local FA has been absolutely superb Um just Google it. 
Yeah. Honestly, so many people, I don't know if we're eligible, just Google it. Yep. Just have a look. You, you don't need to put any of your own money in until you definitely know there isn't a grant because there's so much grassroots um, sports dwindling around because of finances. Well, yeah. yes, we've had to find probably nearly ten, fifteen thousand pounds ourselves, but we're talking about sixty thousand pound expenditure. Yep. You know, I don't mind putting numbers out there. Of, of this isn't instantly; it's going to be over the next five years, so to speak. But um, for instance, we're sat in a building here that's just had a one point six million pound grant um, accepted, or it's going to going to um, to Parliament, I think, to, to have a look at putting a 3G on. I mean, people are thinking, how do we hire a pitch? How do we do that? Well, yeah. if you've got the backing, go and buy one. Go and see if you can get funding for it. You know, we got funding for floodlights. We got funding for a container ship. Yep. You know, we got funding for... What else did we... We got funding for everything. That's the thing. Um, but why should we have to keep scrapping around for funding yeah. if if the rich are getting richer at the top? That's my massive bugbear because... Like we said about Man City, Pep Guardiola is going to win this cup, League Cup, four years in a row. Again, West Ham did him a favour again and again and again. He might be doing something good with this money, the prize money. Yeah, that's but it. Is he? Does anybody know that? Yeah, that, that's it. It disappears into the ether. Nobody really knows um, where, where this prize money or who gets it. You know, there might be an in house bonus thing they do. We just don't know. Um, I think there's some really interesting points we've covered today. Um, and guys, get online, have a look, have a look, and see if you can find funding for your for your grassroots team in your local community. Um, I'm pretty certain there'll be money there for you. It's yeah. it's, it's done. It's it's in basically yeah, yeah. It's allocated to councils every every year. They get a budget. There'll be budgetary requirements for you guys to go out there and get this money. So put your hat in the ring. Ask the questions. The worst thing that can happen is they'll say no. The best thing that happens is say, "Yep, here's some cash." Yeah. Um, but I think that we've had some really interesting points. We've had a great, a great chat today with Brooke, uh, our, our rugby league future star, keeping an eye out for that name, Brooke Stanley. Um, also, we've got uh, our segments, which will continue every fortnight. So keep your eyes peeled for, for future episodes. Should be fortnightly. Um, we'd like to put a thank you out to uh, Jensen Day for our music as well in the podcast. Uh, you can find him on socials at Jensen underscore Day. Um, and also he's on Apple Music. He's got an album coming out shortly, so he'd really appreciate the uh, the follow. Um, he's on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, you know, the normal socials. Um, other than that, guys, uh, anything to add? What a podcast, what a start. We, we should do this, shouldn't we? I know, yeah, we're pretty good at this. Yeah. Like, why have we got proper jobs? <laughs> if you've got any feedback, keep it yourself, because uh, only if it's positive until the second episode. Yeah, um, find, find us on Facebook. Find us on Facebook. Join the group uh, and keep an eye out for next... What's the Facebook group called? Yeah, yeah, what's it called? I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Search up FC Darlington Locomotives and and you might find a link on there. Um, It was going so well. But for now, I'm Brad. I'm not Brad. I'm James. (laughs) I'm Brad. And I'm Bradley. James Nathan. (laughs) See you later. Bye-bye. Ciao for now.